Welcome to Context Matters. I am Cindy Parker. Each week in these episodes, we engage people with different careers to hear about their stories growing up and how it influenced their views of God and the Bible. On this particular season finale, I call some friends and family to ask them which episodes stand out in their minds. But before we get there, I want to share what's been rolling around in my head because I like to watch, listen, read, and think about things before I really put it out there for other people to know. So many of you know how much I love the book of Deuteronomy, and often I use it as a base text when I teach at retreats and at seminars. People ask me how they can take an ancient text that is based in subsistence living in an agrarian or a shepherding context and pull it into the modern technological world. Well, COVID-19 made me think differently about how to answer that question. One thing I would like to address is that the book of Deuteronomy uses the plural word you, as in y'all, and it also uses the singular word you, as in you, the individual. And it's really interesting how it blends these two things together, the you individual and the y'all or all y'all together. And a lot of these things have to do with how people are supposed to act. And so one of the big takeaways from Deuteronomy is there is no professional faith people versus the quote unquote normal people. It's all people acting the same. It's the standard is exactly the same across the board. It doesn't matter if you're in leadership position or not. It's all y'all together as a group of people, and then you as an individual. And Deuteronomy keeps saying everyone as an individual and also you as a community, you are being held to a particular standard. And this is a faith that is not marked by something you've decided on in your head. It is a faith that is marked by the actions you choose to do day by day. And so even in the early days of COVID-19, I was thinking about this because all of us around the world were being asked to choose isolation. And isolation isn't fun. I live on my own, and isolation means that I don't get to touch people, that I don't get to exchange ideas with people. There's a particular disadvantage to being on your own when you're isolating. Now, I also recognize that there is a disadvantage to having a huge family at home when you're isolating because you're stuck together and there are very few outlets. And so this idea of choosing isolation is really tough on all of us. And continuing the isolation, even once we were all sick and tired of the pandemic, we kind of got over the initial rush of trying to solve a national or a global pandemic. And now it just seems hard for us to think through the idea that this is actually not all about me. A part of it is right? All of us do basic things to keep healthy. 
we wash our hands, we cover our mouths, we're, we take these basic hygiene things seriously. But a big part is also protecting others, not just the people we're looking at in the eye when we're in public, but the people that are in their homes or the next person they are going to talk to. So we have to take the humble stance of realizing we don't know every person's circumstance. And for this, it reminds me so much of what Tamar Kamionkowski talked about. The, the sacred space can be impacted by ritual impurity, not by people or what they've done. So it's not about morality. It's not about ethics. Mm -hmm. But because human bodies do some things, they can have an impact on this sacred space. And so the blood works as a ritual detergent to ensure that that sacred space remains holy and accessible for God. And so in terms of a reconstructionist, where I like to go with this, especially in a class setting with my students, is thinking about this extraordinary system that can only work if the system itself trusts that every member of the community is buying into it and every member of the community is participating and taking responsibility. And so if Joe Schmo has a nocturnal emission, he could easily just not tell anyone. But the texts assume that this system will only work if whenever someone is required to, uh, to get themselves back into a state of ritual purity, that they also need to do something at the center of the community. Mm. And so the, the situations that we get ourselves into that we sometimes feel are just, oh, this is just about me, right. are actually part of a larger community and have an impact on the larger community. So to me, it was very much about communal responsibility. That was from episode 15. And if you missed it, you really should go back and listen. Some of you have mentioned to me how much you enjoy hearing me talk with my sister Carrie at the beginning of some of this season's episodes. Well, I thought it would be fun to introduce you to a couple more family members. Hello? Mom, it's Cindy. Hi, Cindy. Hey, Mom. Hey, is Dad around by any chance? Yes, he's right here. I'm right here, Cindy. How hey, are you? Hey, Dad. I'm it's good. Hey, you guys. So I am composing the final episode for season one of Context Matters. And I know both of you are faithful listeners. You listen every week. You always give me feedback on the show. And so I'm a little bit curious if you have maybe a favorite episode or, I don't know, is there something or someone's story that you remember or something that is just kind of stuck in your head after listening to all these episodes that you just think about fondly even after hearing the episode? I think for me, I have loved listening to the variety of stories. Everyone has their own unique 
story and the different ways that God has moved in their hearts. I think it's a privilege to hear that. It also reminds me that we can't put God in a box, that he, he moves in some cases through nature, in some cases through art, through the word. You've had stories uh, from a Jewish perspective. Yeah. And it's, it's all fascinating. I've loved, really loved it. You're always complimentary to me, like after you hear an episode. So I know you love all the different guests and the diversity uh, in the guests and the views that are shared. Would you be mad if I asked you to actually try to pick one? Or is that asking the impossible? I like different ones for different reasons. I think that today I listened to uh, Dr. Riedel Mm -hmm. and... I found it profoundly interesting, the history, the storytelling, the separation from the East and West in the church, but especially the Nicene Creed, Hmm. the story behind that. Because as we have been in various denominational churches, but most recently in a Lutheran church, I associated the reciting of the Nicene Creed with kind of liturgical denominational churches. And I had no idea that the history of it went back to the fourth Mm -hmm. century. And hearing that makes me, it makes it much richer knowing that when we recite it, it's the same words. It's the same thing that's been recited all through the centuries. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Hey, Dad, so same question, since you're on the phone with Mom right now. Oh, Cindy, you know, like your mom says, I've enjoyed the podcast from the very beginning. You know, I feel honored to have been invited to the table. You are always invited to the table, Dad. But the table that around which there's so much great conversation and and discussion. Hmm. And I've, I've enjoyed all of the episodes. Each time I listen to one, that one I've just listened to is my favorite because it's <laughs> so amazing, and I gained so much out of all of them. But, you know, the discussions of this importance of place and being able to interpret the words of Scripture, the hot and the cold water, dealing with individuals, the uh, experimental uh, learning. Yes. Experiential learning. Experience. Although I guess yeah. learning is a little bit exper- experimental as well. I guess it is. It always is. We're particularly the teaching side. So, uh, all of the discussions have been fascinating. The archaeological discussions, uh, they're just fascinating. But the, the latest ones that we've listened to have been the ones about the church councils, the history. Yes. And, you know, I've, I've got got to admit that a lot of that history has been new to me. I didn't understand it. It's not what you normally hear when you participate in church services, but I think understanding that history and why we worship the way we do and in the manner that we do, I think it's important. It's important to our understanding. It's important to understanding uh, our faith. It's important to understanding 
the diversity uh, of the different groups, you know, mm-hmm. the Eastern and the Western church. It's not all really simple. We all have our own approaches, but it's nice to be able to, to see that through that, there is a consistency, God's consistency of his love for his people. Yeah. And although there may be some differences in interpretation or an understanding, you know, we need to focus in on the primary objective of God to love people and to see that through it all. But it's, it's all been fascinating. So thank you for putting this podcast together. <laughs> You're welcome. I love that the both of you are equal opportunity lovers of all the different guests who have been on this show. I love it. Well, we look forward to the next season. Absolutely. Okay. okay well, I'll let you go, but we'll definitely catch up soon. Okay. okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. The episodes mom and dad refer to are episodes 24 and 25, and they are not alone in these comments. Several people have told me how surprised they were with all of the stories Dr. Riedel told, which simply proves how little those of us in the West know about any of the church councils and their influence on what the church believes. Take, for instance, what my friend Shauna has to say. Hello? Shauna, hi, this is Cindy. Hi, Cindy. It's so good to get to talk to you today. I know. I love touching base with you. I mean, we used to have the professor-student relationship, and now we just have the you're one of my cool people to call and chat with relationship. Oh, you're <laughs> one of my cool people to call and chat with as well. I love that kind of our relationship. Hey, Shauna. So I am getting ready to create and edit the final episode for season one of Context Matters. And I'm just calling a few people to find out of the episodes you've listened to if you have a favorite. Oh, that is an exciting question. I do have favorites. I really love kind of the windows into you. And that's that's a tribute to you because I feel like you become who you need to be to talk with the individual that is sharing their eyes with you, which mm. is such a gift. I feel like that has been a shaping idea for me, that if I can open myself enough to sit with somebody and see the world through their eyes, I get this incredible opportunity to learn lessons I maybe knew, but now I get to know them all over again with somebody new. And seeing you do that is really amazing. So I was thinking, like, as I was listening to you talk to your sister, like, oh, this is a long-term kind of journeying partner. And you can tell. Yeah. Because the conversation is so fluid. The experience is so shared. And it doesn't seem to matter whether the experience was in person or it's just phone calls or whatever it is. It's just such a shared journey, seemingly, between you and your sister. Um, And then when you're talking to the artist, it was so great. You just made space for her to talk about how she lived and learned and and what it looks like to process all of this context mattering through her art. Right. I think the last two you've done have been with um, Derek Cooper and then Dr. Riedel. And I am fascinated by how our experience as modern Christians seemingly is so unmoored from our roots. Right. 
here, at least here, and I only have like the North American experience. I don't really know what it looks like to be a Christian in Europe or whatever. I said, I can read about it, but I've not experienced that. Right. So I feel like hearing just the last two podcasts in particular, and I've listened to them now. I keep listening to them a couple of times because both of them, Dr. Cooper and Dr. Riedel, they say all of this stuff. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I, I wish I knew her because I there is something different. So I've had Dr. Cooper as a, as a professor. And so the conversation with him, as you're talking, I'm like, I can imagine what he looks like when he's saying some of this stuff. And, and that adds a whole other layer. And it's interesting to hear him talk about how scripture became scripture. I wish I had that for Dr. Riedel. <laughs> like, right. What does she look like <laughs> when she's talking about this? Because she sounds like this is like fascinating. And I wish I was sitting in her class. Hmm. Which is actually what these all end up being like. It's like this little mini like classroom experience, which I love. It was such a great question you asked. What creates the East and the West Christian experience? Um, and I'm sure somewhere buried in my history classes, somewhere along the way, I learned about the division of leadership within the different areas, but I, it didn't connect with me until this podcast. I'm like, that that is what drives the two kind of main branches of the church. I'm like, oh, of course, of course, right. that's really fascinating because I feel like it really is helpful in understanding, again, how disconnected we are specifically here, my experience has been that the church I was raised in doesn't look like or have anything to do with kind of orthodoxy at all. Right. Um, sort of on purpose and rebelliously. So being connected has been such a journey to get reconnected to kind of our, our faith ancestors. Yeah. I was raised in a, in a very fundamental independent Baptist environment. Um, very clearly taught, this is the only truth. Um, the scripture in any other form, the gospel in any other form is not acceptable. And then mm. become an adult and, and you go through uh, your life that way. And I don't come to seminary until I'm in my mid, what, how old was I? I was 40. I'm like, how old was I when I started that mess? Um, didn't didn't really begin sort of unpacking how disconnected that made me, um, both in experience and in understanding from historical expressions of Christianity and from our ancestors. Those are people we are by faith connected to. Um, and my sister also obviously raised in the same house, as it happens, um, <laughs> And we end up having this conversation. I was about two years into seminary and she and her husband were raising their kids. He was born into the Lutheran church. And so they were raising their kids Lutheran. And yeah. she called me really kind of nervous, um, bordering on upset. Um, they want my son to memorize this creed for school because he's going to the private school attached to their, their church. She goes, Sean, I don't know if that's okay. Can you read this creed and tell me he's not doing anything that's going to jeopardize his eternal security? And I realize, oh, oh my goodness, no. there's nothing here to be concerned about. It's part of our faith ancestry that we belong to. Right. Yet we were taught we do not. 
And it was really like eye opening for me to realize how disconnected I had been and how lonely that is in the faith world. (laughs) Right. It's such a gift to kind of walk through this with all the conversations you're having and be so deeply connected to all of this. There is something when you are disconnected, part of the danger is when you find out something in your disconnected religious bubble, if something in there is broken, you tend to throw Mm. the whole thing away. Mm. And when we are connected with the ancestry of what we believe with, and we understand the history and the development, when we come across these moments where things are broken, we think, okay, well, the church has been through this before. And maybe I'll rethink this broken aspect, which is maybe just broken in this particular generation or in the the last four generations, but maybe wasn't an issue uh, many more generations ago, right? right. And so I think it, it helps us weather the storm just because we understand where the roots sit. And it's That's- not just in our little bubble. That is beautifully said. That is exactly true. There's resilience, in, exactly. In a faith that spans thousands of years, um, that just isn't there in a faith that is maybe three to four generations old. Right. Um, or faith practice, I should say. Because uh, I think the, the Baptist tradition, the, is particularly the fundamental Baptist tradition, is incredibly new <laughs> as it as it is compared to kind of other traditions. Um and it is, it is really, it lets you hang on to the truth that you know, right? I feel like uh, my studies are all what they are. It's very academic and that's fine and it's helpful. Um, but I know that I have met God through meditation, through prayer, through experience. And that kind of wasn't recognized in the tradition that I was raised in. And so I had this kind of blank sort of formulaic practice that wasn't connected to what was happening in my experience. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and then you totally come to does. this and it, like it all gets rewoven together. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> that perhaps is what I love is that what's happening in this season of life for me right now. Um, and maybe particularly through your podcast is this weaving back together of understanding and practice and experience. I I love what you just said about the guests and the things they had to say and about processing it in our own lives, but I'll go ahead and let you go and um, let's catch up soon. Shauna mentioned the episodes with the artist Lisa Abaya, which was episode three, and Dr. Cooper and Dr. Riedel, which were episodes 23 through 25. Another friend of mine took us in a totally different direction with what she remembers. Hello? Hey, Kendra, this is Cindy. Hi, Cindy. Hey, um, I am calling because I know you are a faithful listener to Context Matters, and I thought I would just call and touch base with a few people and find out if they had a favorite episode, and if so, which one it would be. Nice. Well, congratulations for wrapping up season one. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I loved all of the episodes, but my favorite one was 
with Craig Mays from the Bowery Mission in New York City. There are so many things that you and him talked about that at the time I thought, I need to write that down. And yeah. I didn't, but I need to go back and, and do that. <laughs> <laughs> the beauty of podcasts, you can go back and re-listen to your favorite episodes. And yeah. I would agree, even, I mean, I interviewed him and then I edited that episode mm. and I listened to it again. So I've heard it a couple different times, but he really drops all kinds of nuggets mm-hmm. of wisdom. Was there... Anything without having gone back and listened to the episode yet, anything that really stands out to you as as something that has remained in your mm. mind ever since that episode? Mm. I've actually been thinking about that episode a lot due to the recent social issues, social events that have happened. And because I remember you and him talking about the biblical mandate put forth in the whole Bible, really, to help the poor and to care about those who are unjustly treated and how that mandate, as he read the Bible, has made him an activist. And I remember thinking at the time how, wow, I definitely am not a social activist. And I don't treat that phrase kindly because of the politics involved with it. And just hearing you and him talk about that, how we need to separate the word social activist from the politics associated with it. And so just realizing that I need to care about the issues of the day because the the Bible says we need to care. Uh, right. So that's one of the biggest things that have, has stuck with me. One of the things I love about Craig, and I think I even said this in the episode, is he is someone that for me, as I've watched his life over the last few years, he actually is living out mm. the things that he says mm. that mm. he believes. And mm-hmm. I really appreciate that mm-hmm. a- about who he is, mm-hmm. you know, and, and when he says that he's a follower of Jesus, he's actually using the example of Jesus ministering to people around him mm-hmm. to dictate how he himself is living his life. Yes. Yes. And I remember a quote also, I think he had said something about, there was a critique about helping people on the margins that, oh, what good is it if they're just going to go to hell? And his comment was something like, we need to give people a love they can't dismiss or something like that. And that has stuck with me, too. It's loving people, seeing people, uh, being mindful of looking for the people in our paths who we can give love to. And I think that was powerful for me as well. Go back and listen to episodes seven and eight to hear more about Craig Mays and what drives his relentless determination to love people on the margins of society. This conversation with Kendra reminded me about something else related to Deuteronomy. Everything goes back to Deuteronomy. But in this case, there's an interesting and, well, very strange law about what communities should do if they find a dead body out in the countryside without knowing who the perpetrator was. The nearest town is responsible for making amends, and if two towns are of equal distance, they both show up to make amends. And this is really connected to Deuteronomy's overall view of how people, the way that people act towards each other, can either benefit or contaminate the land itself. So granted, views towards the land have changed in recent days, and I have a lot to say about that too, 
But what strikes me is the way that Deuteronomy holds communities responsible for acknowledging that some sort of crime has happened, which will affect the fabric of society. And after acknowledging this crime, they must take responsibility. They do not have to say this was my fault, but they do say a horrible thing has happened. And they are given the responsibility of taking on the sacrifices necessary to atone for this crime. And only then can the sanctity of the land be maintained. And I've been thinking about these sorts of things in recent days where we are waking up to the urgency of the forgotten conversation over racial justice. In reality, it is only forgotten by the white community because it is ever present and life dominating for African Americans. The thing is, Slavery did not end with the 13th Amendment. We simply changed the name to Jim Crow laws. And that did not end with desegregation. We changed the name to federal and state mortgage lending rules. And we never even bothered to acknowledge that or change the name. But we did add on unjust distribution of veteran benefits and I will tell you what blows my mind. And all of this came to head this past weekend because I was listening to a speech given by James Cohn, who is the author of The Cross and the Lynching Tree. And he says, after slavery, segregation, and financial oppression, the African-American population has not ever organized to overthrow the United States, right? There's been no rallying cry for anarchy but there is a persistent and resilient cry for justice and also a gritty and determination for hope. After all, haven't you ever listened to the blues or the spirituals? They just embody that grittiness to hang on to hope. I think our community has seen too many dead bodies of African Americans in its midst. And this can be either lynching or through police brutality or under resourced neighborhoods. And the question is, who will take responsibility and lament and then make atonement? Because Deuteronomy says our land cannot be made whole without these actions. I know these are not easy issues, but I do think they deserve careful attention. Well, I have one more conversation in this trip down memory lane through season one of Context Matters. Hello. Hey, Brian, this is Cindy Parker. Hi, Cindy. Great to oh, hear your voice. Brian, I love talking to you. Um, and you and your wife, Myrna, you guys have been tremendous people in my life, just mm -hmm. in so many different ways. So I'm reaching out to certain people and just asking them if there are certain episodes or different stories that people had that just kind of hang out in your memory. So do you have something like that from the podcast series this first season? Yeah. Um, there's a whole lot of them that I could give honorable mention to for sure. Nice. Um, the one from uh, Muhea. Our, yes. our brother from Kenya, 
was very powerful uh, hearing him talk about rites of passage and how he's developed this ministry, uh, camp ministry, where he takes children and teenagers particularly and walks them through a rite to passage where they move from childhood to adulthood. And I, I was so taken by that because I feel like we don't have very good rites of passage in our own culture. I agree. Um, yeah, yes. You know, we, we sort of do for high school graduation, and that becomes a bit of a big deal. And it's been interesting here during COVID how our culture has tried really hard to make this year's grad extra special because they weren't able to gather. But that's primarily an academic rites of passage. It's good, good for you. You've finished school. But um, for those of us that are followers of Jesus, is there a spiritual rites of passage besides <sighs> baptism or confirmation? When does a woman, a girl become a woman and a boy become a man? Why would, there, why would that be important to have a rites of passage? So I found his, that podcast very, very intriguing. Yeah. Um, maybe this podcast meant a lot to me because when our kids uh, reach the age, we have three kids, and when they hit the age of 16, Myrna and I did something very special for them, which really was a rites of passage. We told them that we were going to take them away somewhere special. And we, Myrna made a scrapbook for each of them where we invited uh, most of the significant people in their past, teachers, Sunday school uh, leaders, camp counselors, peers, uncles and aunts, etc., all wrote uh, mm. a one-page letter uh, speaking into the life of our children, telling them what they see, and uh, calling those things out in them, and uh, basically giving their words of, of wisdom. Here's what you can look forward to as you're becoming an adult. I think that maybe Muheo's podcast meant a lot because it's something we felt that it was important for us to do yeah. with our kids. It was powerful. Have, yeah. have your kids ever commented on what it meant for them to have their parents facilitate this kind of experience for them? Have they ever reflected back on that? I'd be curious. Yeah, to know. yeah we've, we've talked about it, you know, a number of times. They, they were even very grateful at the time. They were able to mm. express to us how much this meant to them. And they would sit and look through their scrapbook and read these letters. And, and um, we haven't talked about it lately. You know, they're now well into their 30s. But um, it, it would yeah. be interesting to, to ask them what they did remember about that. So thank you. Thank you for doing these podcasts. They've just been really powerful. I love it. I love it. I've learned so much. Um, even in, you know, the last uh, couple with uh, Dr. Riedel, um, oh, she's I just learned so many things that I didn't know before. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks. Okay, well, I'll let you go. Give my, like, say hello to Myrna for me. I appreciate I will. it. And, and thanks for letting me call you in the middle of your afternoon and kind of invade your day. I appreciate it. And let's catch Anytime. up soon. You bet, Cindy. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. The conversation about the rites of passage with Muhea Kirianjahi were episodes 13 and 14. What a fun and interesting season it's been. I've learned a ton, and I look forward to what will come in the second season. But first, I need to take some time to regroup and possibly reorganize the podcast, and I need to move. 
and get some other life projects taken care of. But you can expect Context Matters to be back on the air in mid-August. If you subscribe to the podcast, then the first episode of season two will automatically download and you will not miss a thing. I will also be sending out email alerts. So if you want to be on the mailing list and you haven't already been receiving email notices from me, get in contact with me through my website at narrativeofplace.com. Thanks goes to Peter Lordson at Sycamore Sound for the music on Context Matters. And all of us should thank my Patreon members because creating and editing this podcast takes a lot of my time and costs a decent amount of money. But these faithful contributors on Patreon make it all possible. I couldn't do it without their support. Thank you so much. I'm glad you joined me around this podcast table this season on Context Matters. I look forward to when we gather again. And until then, stay healthy, read Deuteronomy, and stay curious about the world around you.